Okay, welcome to episode 25, uh, anniversary episode of, of Sorts, Daz. Uh, so we thought we'd do something special tonight. We're sitting here, it's a Saturday evening. Uh, we've got the kids in bed. Uh, we thought we'd just sit back and, and get a little bit nostalgic uh, tonight. But Daz, I'll start, as always, asking you, how, how's your weekend been? How are you? Yeah, glorious, glorious. Yeah. Um, just, just me and the Monty this weekend, so... Uh... I ran him ragged and he's passed out. So I know the listeners are dying for a three-hour pod, so we can probably crack that out. So we got nothing but time tonight. We'll see. Where, we'll see how we go with it. Uh, but look, what I and, and we've just sort of spoken to set this up. What I wanted to do tonight, and I've been meaning to do this for a while, is really, get, as I say, get a little bit nostalgic, go back in in history, in our own personal histories, and I guess just contrast. Uh, between the two of us, how how we grew up with the NBA, I and mean, we're both long time NBA fans, and contrast the difference between you, yourself growing up in the US and your sort of journey uh, through the ba- basketball and the NBA, of course, uh, some of your favourite memories of that, and, and contrast that with, with um, my memories. It sounds like there's some similarities. So, I mean, the, the big differences for me growing up in Australia is we didn't play a lot of basketball, it wasn't an organised sport that we generally got into till a bit later on. Um, you know, I didn't play organised hoops until high school. Um, oh, right. Okay. And I was never very good anyway, so I sort of could only play shooting guard and I was never tall enough to play shooting guard, so I'd just stand out there and shoot threes um, and not, not do it very well. Um, <laughs> you so, were the stretch the floor guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then, I, you know, I, I was sort of 3 and D without the 3 and with only a little bit of D, so... <laughs> Um, that was sort of my game in a nutshell. Um, and I still play these days. I play point guard these days, but I, I can only dribble with one hand and it, it generally ends end badly. Um, <laughs> so, but, so from a playing point of view, I mean, we used to play, you know, just muck around games at the school courts, but nothing too serious. And then, uh, but the, the Hawks, from an NBL's perspective, sound very similar to what the, the Bucks would have been in those days, one of the small market teams. They used to play in a place called Brandon Park, or the Snake Pit, they called it, and it was like a sweaty old gym. And they get about <laughs> sort of 1,500 people in there, but it did feel like 15,000. Yes. Uh, the the away team locker room had cold showers, um, so they just it was just an unwelcoming environment uh, to other teams to come in, and you could see these guys, you know, because we you know, you get the American imports come in and think it's a professional league, and then they walk into the snake pit and think where where are we for goodness sakes, you know? So and the Hawks would always sort of make the finals, and they'd usually and it was always best of three finals. And they gen- they could win a game, but they couldn't get over the hump and win win the second game uh, against you know the teams like the Brisbane Bullets and uh, the East Melbourne Spectres and teams like that. So um, so there's some similarities there. Where where I sort of came to the NBA, they used to show the NBA uh, on a Friday night at like midnight, and uh, I've always been a night owl, so I'd be sleeping over at friends' places uh, or even at home and I'd sort of wait up and just be, be waiting for something decent to come on TV. Of course, the NBA would come on. So I do remember the first game I ever watched was the 1987 uh, finals when the Lakers beat the Pistons. Um, and I remember that game seven. I, I didn't know a lot about basketball then, but even then I knew that the, the, the Pistons got jobbed 
um, with that late call against uh, against Lane Beer on Kareem. So I watched Kareem sink the three throws and then I sort mm. of got right into the, the NBA from that point of view and then would religiously on a Friday night would watch. They used to show a lot of Knicks games for whatever reason in those years. It was just after so when Ewing got This started. is what? This would be late? <laughs> this is late, late 80s, so 87, 88, 89. Um, and then I, I saw a guy play once, and this is, and I didn't sort of hadn't chosen a team. I was sort of leaning towards the Knicks because they used to show quite a bit of Knicks basketball. And then I saw this guy, and I just thought, if you were, if you're making a, a basketball player, and you could just chisel him out of stone, this is the guy that you would make in terms of the game you'd love to see. And that was David Robertson. And the first time I saw the Admiral, I just thought. That's the guy oh. I want to follow. Like just the prototypical right, basketball right. player. And, of course, Terry Cummings was on that team. Terry Cummings was actually an all-star with San Antonio, so he, he still had a little bit left in the tank when he yeah. came in. And Sean Elliott was in that team. Uh, he, he came after the Admiral. But uh, That's right. They moved, they moved TC to the four back then, didn't they? He, that's right, yeah. Um, he was the original Sean stretch played. four. He was, that's right. Yeah. So, and of course, we knew him from video games too. So at that stage, sort of the Sega games were just coming out and the NBA oh, Jam right. was a little bit later than that, the arcade game. But some of the, the early, like if you remember the Blazers-Bulls, the Lakers-Celtics and Blazers-Bulls-Sega yes. Mega Drive games. So we used to always play that and I'd always be the Spurs and a friend of a mutual friend of ours, Cram, would always be the Warriors. So he'd be the run team, see Warriors against my Spurs and we just go at each other in, in those games. So those early video games were also an introduction to the NBA because we only had the one game a week that we'd watch. You'd sort of hope that your team would be shown. Um, but then, as, as in the early 90s, basketball was actually quite big in Australia um, because that was the Andrew Gaze era. Andrew Gaze, if you remember, the Seton Hall run with Andrew Gaze. I do. Um, so that, I was what was that? Well, that would have been eighty nine. Yeah. Would have been nine eighty nine, ninety, ninety one, like that era. Yep, yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. So, and we all thought, you know, from a, living in our bubble in Australia, we thought he was going to be the number one pick in the draft. You know, when he had that little run through that. And I mean, I'm still mildly surprised, even all these years later, he wasn't drafted. Um, I think he, he could have been drafted, but he, he wasn't drafted at all. Came back to Australia and really dominated the Australian league for a number of years. And that's where, where, as I've touched on before, some of the great American imports came out. Dave Simmons, Bruce Bolden, um, you know, Cecil Exum was there. And, of course, their sons are now playing in the NBA. Um, Brett Brown Brett Brown was out here at the time. He was coaching um, the South Melbourne Magic, I think he coached. So he coached Bruce Bolden um, in those days. So, But you would see, like... For big games of the NBL, they would put it on prime time. Like it wasn't, you know, midnight uh, every weekend. Like a lot of the games were on late at night. But if there was a big game, you know, the Sydney Kings became a place to go. Um, they were sort of getting big crowds at the entertainment centre. And off the back of that, of course, the NBA's going through its great boom with the Jordan era. Yeah. And so every Sunday, I remember I used to work eight till 12 at the local supermarket and then we, I'd go straight over the Crams place and we'd watch what they called Sunday basketball oh. which was the NBA action the NBA game of the week and oh. then they'd have an NBL game of the week which was live 
at that time. And that was like, yeah, you know, cool. 12 till 4 on a Sunday, um, every Sunday. And I have great memories of those years, probably, you know, from 92, 93, 94, um, where we would just, every Sunday was basketball and we'd just watch um, the NBA game of the week. Again, you'd be hoping your team, Shane, but then you might see a little bit of your team um, in the NBA action. Uh, and I have to say, Daz, I watched NBA from 87... And it wasn't until Andrew Bogut was drafted that I ever watched the Milwaukee Bucks game. I bet, yeah. I mean, they had that See, little run with Glenn miss... Robinson, but we, we yeah. for, that was when, by that stage, the NBL had sort of slowed down a bit and we weren't getting much NBA either. Um, in Did you ever have any um, any good NBA players that you'd come to know that, that played through Illawarra? Did any of the... Yeah, well, Doug so... Overton played through Illawarra, if you remember Doug Oh, Overton. Doug Overton, yeah. sure. And um, he's coaching college now, actually, as well. But so he he carved out a decent career. Stephen Jackson played for the Sydney Kings um, for a year. Uh, he might. I meant the actual Illawarra team. But the Illawarra team only had Doug Overton was the only guy um, that ended up going. Well, they Dave, played a long time in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Doug Overton had a, had a good career in, in the, the NBA. NBA. In the NBA, yeah. He only had the one year at the Hawks. We also had David Anderson. I don't remember. David Anderson, Australian guy, but he played for the Rockets for a couple of years. Um, he came through the Illawarra team as well. Um, but look, m- most players, sort of import players, would come out um, after I was striking out and not being able to make the NBA um, or maybe even working their way through Europe or who knows sort of how yeah. they would get out to Australia. So, um, as much as we loved them as players, I mean, they just they were not up to that standard generally. And most of them were just score first guys. And it, it's a bit like the old cliche the American import comes in, you just expect him to shoot every time he gets it. Sure. And that's what a lot of the guys were. But certainly, Doug Overton was always the, the poster boy for us as Illawarra Hawks fans, because half of us were sort of Illawarra Hawks fans and the other half of the guys that followed it were Sydney Kings fans. So there was a bit of back and forth between the two. But Illawarra were always better in those years than what Sydney were. Um, but Sydney would try and get the flashy imports. Um, yeah, sure. The, the funniest year was when Sydney signed Matt Nova. Um, now, do you know who Matt Nova is? Mm-mm. He's the white guy. In, he's the white guy in blue chips. Oh, it's blue chips. <laughs> the movie, right? So they signed him. They saw. Have you seen the movie Blue Chips? No, is that? That's the one with Shaq no. and Penny in um, Nick. Oh Nancy. God, that piece of garbage! Yes. <laughs> so um, that's um. Oh, I love blue chips. Well, we're going to have to have a basketball movie. Is that Nick Nolte? That was, was Nick, Nick Nolte. Nolte. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So anyway, they signed Matt Nova as a. Um, like as a publicity stunt, um, just to try and get people to go to their games. <laughs> and he was absolutely terrible. Like he blown his he knee was. out, blown his knee out twice, and just couldn't couldn't jump over a phone book. Uh, it was beautiful. They they'd always do those things, and anyway, that the Hawks um, would always sort of be a bit more uh, circumspect about their their team building. But I think what's hurt the NBL in Australia, and why one of the reasons it's not so big these days is the access that you now get to the NBA. So, I mean, we couldn't have dreamed about, you know, growing up in them days, watching our one game a week here in Australia. Yeah, no. Being able yeah. to just sit there and watch essentially any game we, we 
we possibly can uh, through NBA League Pass. And I think, obviously, Andrew Bogut changed things as well because when he was drafted by the Bucks, um, the, I think... Um, one of the stations that there, there was a Milwaukee Bucks game showed every every week um, in his first few years in Milwaukee um, as well, which is how I got to know the sort of Michael Red uh, Fear the Deer team, and obviously Red the Fear the Deer team came a, a little bit after Red, even though Red was still on that team. Um, but that's when I fell in love with Michael Red as a player because I just thought well, fantastic basketballer that he was um, but yeah the, the late 90s early 2000s in Australia it was a little bit more difficult um, to access uh, oh, yeah. the NBA um, because the NBL sort of the NBL would go up and down I mean it, it peaked again in the late 90s and that was when the Illawarra finally won their first title um, and that was a really good year and the, the ABC had the rights that year and they would show games live every week um, and it was, so there was a, there was good access to it, and there was quite a bit of interest. And then, for whatever reason, just fell away. You, you know, I think the lockout really hurt the NBL as well in '99. Um, that lockout year, not only was the basketball quite poor, but I think you know people had a pretty poor opinion of the players, and and um, you know the reasoning behind that. I think they felt there was a bit of greed involved from the players mm. rightly or wrongly so I think that hurt the NBA and, and by you know sort of guilt by association it also hurt the NBL to some extent um, and then sort of by the early 2000s there was a lot more access you could get to the NBA and that in turn really hurt the NBL and that's why the NBL um, even though it's recovered a little bit in the last couple of years and it's, it's certainly going a lot better than it was um, but this is a shame to see because it, you know the there's nothing better than going to a live game of basketball, in my view. I mean, yeah. in all the sports, and I go to all different sports, and I love football. I'm a, I'm a big football fan as well as in, as in soccer. Um, but basketball, if you get a close game of basketball, there's just nothing. There's no pressure. There's no excitement like that. And that's that's one of the reasons that the, the timeout issue really annoys me in a sense in the NBA because I went to an NBL game last year I think there were four timeouts all, all game. And the game just flowed all the time. There was a couple of booth reviews, but they did it very, very quickly. Um, and it was just stark how much, uh, much, much better flow there was to that NBL game than what there is to a lot of NBA games um, that I've seen, even though obviously the standard's nowhere near what you would like to see from an NBL, or you'd expect to see from an NBA game, um, Sacramento Kings aside. Yeah, you mentioned that before, the flow. Um, but they, they finally changed that rule. Well, they haven't changed it, but they've they've eased the rules a bit, haven't they, with a couple of... They limited a few timeouts, I think, per team. I like the fact, too, mistaken. that in the NBL, and this is international rules, you can't call a timeout uh, unless the ball goes out of play. So, you know, you can't... If, if you get trapped in the corner, you better be able to find your way out of there because you can't call a timeout to bow yourself out. And I look at it in the NBA and I think, these are supposed to be the best players in the world and we're giving them these bailouts so that you can't, you, you know, you can't call a timeout, um, you know, when you're, when you're under duress or you can, sorry, call a timeout when you're under duress on the court. So I'd be interested to see how, how big it is. That's a really great point. Be. I never thought about that, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. And I mean, you know, even 
you know. And well, not- if timeouts were if timeouts were precious, you know, as your defense, you're like awesome, right? You can force them to burn a timeout if you, if you well, make timeouts true. more yep. precious, like in the NFL, right? Yeah. Like NF- timeouts in the NFL are fucking gold, right? So um, that's maybe the, the kind of the trade off is that you're right. It's maybe change that rules one way. The other one, don't you hate the? Oh, we could do a whole pot on things, things that <laughs> things that get under our skin. So we're going to leave nostalgia and get fired up again about <laughs> shitty rules. But the um, just I've never to this day ever understood the get the ball you know, late in the game, team scores a point, you call a timeout, and you could advance it all the way into the front court at the hash mark, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you basically save yourself five seconds or four seconds for getting the ball. <laughs> that one I never understood. I still don't. Is there a logic to that rule? Do you have, is there a, some rationale for? Have you ever no, heard an explanation for why? Uh, I only to make look. The only thing I can think make of it, is just make things easier for the attacking Make it easier team. to score, right? Yeah, yeah. make it easier yeah. to score at the end of the games. Yeah. Um, and I guess it does. Like if you've got a second left. You can then, if you can advance the ball, then that becomes a meaningful possession. Whereas if you've got to inbound it from the back of the court, then it becomes almost null and void because it's almost going to be very, very difficult to get. Unless to you're the Grant ball. Hill and Christian Leitner, yeah, yeah, that's right. So it, yeah. gets, it does get very difficult. I mean, let's go back to from a nostalgic point of view. I and mean, the, the the season that always stands out for me and that I have the most, um, the fondest memories of was the ninety two ninety three season when uh, Chicago met the Suns in that epic finals um, and I mean I've, I've brought it up here the Western Conference that year was unbelievable um, right from the first round right through to the, the Western Conference finals the <clears throat> excuse me the, the Eastern Conference wasn't quite as good although it did have the great Eastern Conference finals the New York Chicago that was when uh, Charles Smith missed all the layups in Game Five of that series. So that, and that New York were the one seed. So New York, that was the year everyone thought the Knicks are going to finally get over the hump, and poor old Charles Smith couldn't make a layup um, to to wind out that game. But then you look at the the first round of the Western Conference Finals. You had Phoenix and the Lakers, and Phoenix had to come from two nil down to take that three two. Utah and Seattle. Went five games. These were best of five, of course. Houston and the Clippers went five games. I think that was that was the Brent Barry Clippers. Um, I've got memories of Brent. Of, uh, Mark Jackson was there as well for the Clippers that year. So it was pretty rare to see the Clippers in the playoffs at that stage. Uh, and then Phoenix met the Spurs in the second round. One of the great second round series. If you remember the, the big shot that Barkley hit uh, to win game five in that series. Seattle, Houston went seven games. I just remember Charles going crazy in that. Yeah, that was really Charles's. Yeah, that was his explanation. That was his coming out party, if you like. Yeah, Yeah, because because David Robinson was in the MVP conversation that year, and um, like sadly he did for a lot of years. The Admiral in the playoffs, he just didn't quite come through, and uh, and Barkley took him took the Spurs apart, Um, and then Barkley played really well against Seattle. Uh, as well um, in the conference finals. And that was also a seven-game series. Um, and you just think back of those Seattle teams. You had, you know, Kemp and Payton, um, 
Dale Ellis would have been on that Seattle team. Houston, that was Olajuwon just before. Olajuwon really took over the league in 94-5. The Spurs that we touched on. The Lakers had a really nice team. There was a couple of really good games in that Phoenix Lakers. Uh, That was the end of the sort of Drexler-Portland era, I think it's fair to say. Um, And Utah still had Malone and Stockton. So just the Western Conference was just stacked. Um, I mean, even though Chicago were the best team and, and New York, maybe could have argued they were the second best, second, third best team. Um, the Western Conference was so stacked. Well, the Knicks, had, Knicks, were, Knicks were, had a better record, and Phoenix had the best record in the league. That's like, right. So Phoenix had the MVP and the best record in the league, so the, technically the, the Bulls upset Phoenix, right? Um, well, the Bulls were a little bit I mean, like one of those teams that would just turn, by that stage, would turn it on in the playoffs. True. Yeah. Um, they weren't as fussed about what, you know, their win-loss record, a little bit like what we're seeing. And that, that's where I think the LeBron-Jordan comparisons are very accurate, that you know, the regular yeah. season got to a point where it's like, I don't, the regular season's not that much of a worry for us anymore. We know we can turn it on in the playoffs, um, in the playoffs and get over, you know, whoever we need to get out, get past. Um, and they were able to do it that year. But just so many memorable moments. I mean... But no, I... <laughs> I mean, so the Phoenix was my, as you probably know, right? It's like my second favorite team. I think the only reason I be- why I became a Suns fan was um, the Gorilla. I thought the Gorilla was really cool. <laughs> right? yep. The dunking Phoenix Gorilla, jumping off the trampoline. And then, the f- was it the first ever? The first or second ever um, slam dunk contest was won by, that wasn't the first ever, it was one of the early Ones was won by Larry Nance. That right? was Larry. Was Larry Nance on the Phoenix then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a Phoenix Suns guy. So I became oh, right. I became a Suns fan. Um, so I thought it would be fun to have a second team. I think, and so I just I've loved the Suns since that day. So I had, I mean, that was genuine. Um, probably even more heartbreaking because I was older, right? I was more as you can as you can be more intellectually engaged and spend more time thinking about the league than even when my, you know, my early 80s box would lose to the, you know, Celtics. I was 11 years old or something, and, you know, you'd, you'd cry, and then five minutes later, you know, whatever, you're playing Atari. So, you know, you you know what I mean? Like the yeah. you know, the memories don't sting when you're 12 like they do when you're, I would have been 20 or 21. And I remember exactly where I was at. I was with Lance Weldon, who um, Lance is on our, he's in our NBA league um, our Facebook league, he and I were at this, our favorite summer pub, um, and watching Phoenix and the Bulls and the crushing, uh, we were at Show Mama's, I'll never forget, um, and John Paxson hit that shot, and I just, I was inconsolable, like, I, I left, I'm like, just, <laughs> I fucking left, whole place is rooting for the, for the Bulls, right? so I grew up in an area in Wisconsin, right, big touristy area, and so in the summertime, all the Chicago tourists would come and you know, basically Wisconsin was like the big giant, Wisconsin Dells is giant water park, giant water parks everywhere and all kinds of outdoor stuff to do. And so we pretty much, you know, a tourist industry, service industry, all, you know, during your summertime away from, from college, you're just working all summer and surrounded by Chicago people every day, every day, people wearing, you know, Jordan jerseys and talking shit and, you know, um, it just was so so easy to resent and hate Chicago. You're just surrounded by Chicago people. 
um, all summer long. And so that made it even just doubly crushing where I'm basically at home in Wisconsin cheering for my son's team and the whole place is going crazy because it's full of fucking Bulls fans. So um, that's why I've always, I always hated the Bulls, right, so much. I, I didn't, I never resented, I would probably would have hated Jordan less and or admired and appreciated him more had it not been for that crushing 93 series. Um, so just crushed by him, right? And the Suns never got back. Um, still haven't to this day, right? Still haven't made the haven't made the finals. So uh, no, no, no. So, so I'll never. I, I don't know if I'll ever hate a team. I, it was easier to hate the the Celtics, right? Easy to hate that team. God, God that that early '80s Celtics team. But the, you know, I could see how people bandwagoned onto Jordan. How could you not bandwagon on a player? Yeah. Who played like that? So I never again. If I hadn't had my heart broken, I probably would have um, probably would have respected Jordan a bit more than I actually could do. Yeah, I mean, I remember from that series, Phoenix lost the first two games, and you thought because I thought Phoenix were going to beat the Bulls. I thought this is this is the year it's going to happen. And it matched they, up really well. Yeah. yeah, lost the first two games, and just. You thought, oh, no chance now going back to Chicago. Of course, they won two out of three in Chicago, including that um, triple overtime game in Game oh. Three. And maybe my maybe the greatest NBA game I've. When you're that emotionally invested, maybe one of the greatest games I've ever yeah ever seen. And I mean, Game yeah. Five, they handled the Bulls in Chicago. They did. Like, and, they I, did. and I remember yeah. watching that game live with Cram, and we were both like. I can see Phoenix coming over the top here like that. It was not close, and to to beat and I mean even though the, the score I think it was about eight points from memory, I've got it here. But I mean it just it, watching the game. I remember, live, was that, I remember the feeling was that you're right. I remember the feeling. You remind me was that you felt like I had control of the game, so the confidence was sky high. Like it never felt like the Bulls were going to catch up that game. Is that weird? Because the Bulls had no answer for Barkley. He was the ultimate antidote. They had no one. They just, this, was, this was before the Rodman, right? So this That's was right, like yeah. Horace Grant was nothing. So oh, I'm getting yeah. upset again, Dennis. Yeah, Phoenix <laughs> won by 10. I've just got it up there. And Phoenix yeah, okay. actually led. They led in game six um, for most of, of the they game. Did. They did. Uh, and they looked, did. it just they looked in control. And you thought, okay, this is going to go game seven. Fucking John Paxson. And John Paxson just hits that shot. And then even then... Even when he hit the shot, though, I still thought, thought the Suns were going to win that game. Uh, and then, of course, well, KJ gets his shot blocked. The whole air on... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, he gets his shot blocked. Why they didn't go to Barkley on that position, I'm not sure. Um, but, I mean, he looked like he had an open shot, I suppose. Um, and Horace Grant comes out of nowhere and blocks it and takes it away from him. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely a, t- a tough one, a, a very tough, tough one for the Knicks too that year because um, I know Knicks fans still haven't gotten over the, the Charles Smith game either um, that they somehow managed to lose. Oh, so oh, I choked that away. But I was just thinking the the connection between these two is you know had a really good, really good season. I don't remember him too much in the playoffs, but. On that '93 Phoenix team was was Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge was was he was on the Suns, right? Yep. Do you remember right. that? Yep. Yeah. Dan- then he was right. He was a three baller. He fucking was great from downtown. Well, yeah, they had him, Dan Marley as well. Um, and Marley could defend, right? So they Marley could defend a lot. 
he was a great defender. So he'd give, um, I guess he was balanced between, imagine that life as Dan Marley. You know, Kevin Johnson's not a great defender, but they'd stick him on Paxson. But balancing between um, Pippen and Jordan the whole series. Yeah. The poor Dan, Dan Marley, you know, just run, run ragged. Um, I think Barkley would take would guard Pippen for a while. Yeah. Even though he was a four, he matched up better. And Sabalos could sort of sag back on on Horace. But uh, anyway, Danny Ainge was on that Suns team. I just wonder if you remember that. Yeah, no, I remember that. I remember that. He shot forty percent from three that year. Forty percent on nearly five attempts per game. Yeah, forty. Yeah, I remember the big O putting his big ass in the people down low as well. From time to time, (laughs) off the bench in that. But anyway, you were saying you you were saying we digress, right? You start talking about my sons, and I'll go. You know, um, everyone will tune out. That was your you were remembering that season, like your first. That ninety two ninety three season was like your. That was really uh, yeah the like introduction. The kind of that was the moment I printed yeah yeah that yeah. was like okay the NBA is where it's at and that's you know that then you, the, the personalities of that season and then you sort of follow really closely follow the NBA from that point onwards yeah um, through to you know that it's, it's funny when when the Spurs were as dominant as they were I probably didn't watch as much NBA just from the point of view it was it was harder to watch here in Australia. Um, as much as anything else, and then sort of in more recent times, um, you know, obviously gotten gotten a lot more back into it since since about you know sort of two thousand and seven onwards, um, right back into watching the NBA, and it's been the access is a lot better in Australia now than what it obviously was in the early two thousands, um, etc. I mean, but I, I look at the game now, and I still I go back because I've got the the NBA package where you can go back and watch the classic games. And I've got to be honest with you, I still prefer those early nineties games to watch than the game today. The game the way it is today. Um, no kidding. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just right. think I, I think that. I, know, I mean, you know, you look at game game um, game three of the uh, the NBA Finals this year, which everyone says, oh, that that was a classic game. But to me, it's. It's almost a glorified game of horse, and we've we've spoken about that a few times. Where it's just like who can make shots, um, and there just doesn't seem to be the same intensity um, on defense. Hmm. Uh, but I'm sure there is. I, I think it's just the rule changes have made it such that it's just that, that little bit harder to defend. No, I don't. I don't think shot. there is the same intensity on defense. I think it's a very fair comment. I mean, look at the MVPs. Uh, they don't play an ounce of defense, right? You know, Harden and Westbrook, right? They're you know, well, I think that's way below effort, but certainly below average. That's right? more a uh, that that's also more a um, factor or a, an offshoot of this twenty four seven sports center mentality. Maybe that you've got to get on uh, on you know on sports center every night, and then people are, are valuing numbers over actual um, actual winning. Yeah, maybe um, so. So I think that's one of the things that was different in those days. I mean, I'm. You know, and then you look at it when when Oscar Robinson got his triple double season, he wasn't MVP. I think he was third in the voting. Yeah, you know, because yeah, that, that was the years they they valued winning, they valued defense, um, and I just don't think it's valued as much. But it's it's also about you know, play, once players start running around talking about their brand, um, I mean that's that's where the NBA is at today in comparison to those days where you know players 
certainly weren't as as worried. It's a shame you're not a, a little bit older because I'd love for you to um, compare the you know uh, the Lakers Celtics of the '80s. You know, you probably you probably don't remember those, right? You'd have been way too. I have old. watched some of those um, games. Um, and yeah, but, but I go, but yeah, you should you should give it a look. But it's hard to you know get a get one game or two games. You you could be prone to you know something. You know something not so not so great, but the intensity, right? That these were super teams, right? These teams, um, similar styles, right? Because they had the it's still a lot of the offense goes through the post, but then LA had the running game and obviously Magic leading the charge, and then just the maybe the smartest player to ever play with Larry Bird, you know. But so I'd have been interested to hear if you liked the so that basketball for me, right? was way more enjoyable than the early by the early 90s it was so iso all iso everything and then dump it into the you know um dump it into fucking Shaq or you know Chris Webber or just so much low post stand there with the ball sort of stuff um uh, anyway or yeah I well I mean I like the, but, the 86 yeah. Celtics Rockets series was actually a really good series to watch um, I watched, uh, I think, two or three of the games. Uh, actually, no, I watched the, the Rockets-Lakers. I watched a couple of games out of it, and then I watched a couple of games of the, the Rockets-Celtics in 86. So that was where I really got a good appreciation, I felt, of that era, even though it wasn't necessarily Lakers v Celtics at that yeah, time. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, really, really good good quality basketball. Um, and you look at Ralph Sampson, you think, gee, how did that guy not make it? Um in the NBA, but obviously injuries uh, do completely derailed um, what he was able to do from there. Uh, but yeah. I mean, I, I actually, I, I guess ninety two, ninety three. I didn't. I, I just thought there was such great personalities on every single team. Had their sort of alpha, alpha dog, and usually they had two really um, top quality players. Like you had Jordan. Oh, Pepper. that's a that's a fair point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> And, you know, and I think that's one of the things the game's missing. And that's what this, this super team here really annoys me. To just, you look back, and as I said, you just look back through that 92, 93 season. You've got Malone Stockton, Kemp Payton, um, you know, Elijah on was sort of, I mean, I, I don't know who the sort of secondary guy was on, on Houston at that stage. Probably Kenny Smith still. Uh, you know, Barkley, well, I mean, the Suns were very, like, had, Johnson and Barkley, but they had a very good sporting cast as well. And you sort of just went through all the teams and there was those those great personalities and great players um, in, in almost every time. I and mean, even some of the teams that didn't make the playoffs um, had some great teams. Like Golden State had some good teams through those years um, that you remember. So that's what I think we're, we're, we're missing a little bit these days with, with these sort of players all flocking to the same teams. Um it's just not quite not not quite the same for me that you sort of you you don't look through the schedule I guess and go oh, I want to see this team I want to see that team because of these certain personalities. Um, you know, there's a number of teams in the NBA now where you just look at it and think oh, oh, if I don't watch a game of them next season I'm not going to be losing any sleep over it. Yeah, look, I was going to say that the league <laughs> obviously the league was smaller. It wasn't a lot smaller, but it was like whatever. <laughs> There have been 26 teams or something, 25. <laughs> yeah, they would have. So won. there's some there's some concentration going on. But that era, you're right, was the well, that was a dream team, right? Where you had maybe the single greatest collection of 
basketball talent was at 92. 92 was the dream was team. Yeah, that's right. I think they're the greatest. And they're all right. Not all of them in their peak of their prime, but that's that's probably, a, I'm thinking from a global perspective, how do you get better than you and Bird and Magic and Olajuwon and Barkley and Malone and Robinson, right? And and like all those playing. I mean, the, well, they say it's just a, a list of the top 20 players of all time. The stories right? out of that camp is the best basketball games ever played were played in that camp. Like they were so competitive, um, the practice games. Yeah. Um, when they when they put it, and I remember the '92 Olympics. I remember having the argument with Cram and saying, "Look, I, I think this will be the end of you know, international basketball. This will ruin international basketball because um, the US will never be beaten. They're just far too good." And he said, uh, and I hate to admit when he's right, but he was 100% right on this. He said, this will be the best thing that's ever happened to international basketball. He said, because other teams will actually come up and eventually they'll be beaten. And I thought, and I mean, I, I think had the US taken every single one seriously, maybe they would never lost. Um, we don't know. But of course, we have seen the US being beaten a, a number of times, particularly in those early 2000s, um, where they had a couple of embarrassing performances. Well, in the international. So the symptom of, a bit of the symptom of the era, right, was the isolation basketball. Since so the Americans were criticized much the way I think English, you know, football, soccer is criticized, where it's, you know, English Premier League superstars tippy-toeing around, you know, with their country club, the, the country's team, and not really caring about winning. And the same thing was happening, right? After the Dream Team, it became just, you know, no one really cared about winning. We were so much better than everyone, and you just didn't want to get injured, but you wanted to get yourself a bit of headlines. And so it was just hogball, isolation, rubbish. And so there was a, I don't know, my Olympic basketball history, but, you know, the U.S. didn't win it for quite a while, did they? they no, well, I remember. Dysfunction and, yeah, just. There were some really bad performances. But I think the, the, the positive aspect of it was it opened the NBA up to the international game because in, in that 92, yeah. 93, how many international players would there have been in the NBA? Like there was Drazen Petrovic, Blab, Blab, exactly my right. favourite. Um, blab, Blab, Johnny Blab. Um, there wasn't, there certainly wasn't too many international players that Detlef, went, went through the NBA. Yeah. Detlef Schrempf was there, um, but you're really scratching your head to find. Now you sort of go through the NBA yeah. and you can hardly find a team that doesn't have an international player. Um, yeah. Within, yeah. and, and they've bought so much yeah. to the game. I mean, you know, there is the occasional guy that's bought nothing to the game like Zaza, but there are other guys like Manu and... Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to start listing Spurs, but Giannis, of course, um, that have bought so much to the game. Even Rubio, uh, we're going to see... Well, Yao Ming, right? Remember Yao Ming, Yao opened yes. up all of Asia. Yep, Exactly. Um, uh, you know, Jeremy Lin, even though Jeremy like Lin uh, normally a, an American citizen, but um, he's opened the game up overseas as well. Uh, so I think it's been a fantastic thing. And you I mean Yao Ming? Yeah, you, you forget Yao Ming, don't you? Because um, the way his career ended, but he was such a phenomenon when he first came into the league. Yeah, so he was awesome. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's, been, that's probably fair one than the, than the money, right? The money. <laughs> probably started the flow and TV revenue and, you know, probably the global distribution was sort of taking off and so, you know, star driven league always has been, I was probably 
Yeah, probably things that really took off, didn't it, in the 90s then? Yeah, um, and you look at what's come out of them and the Australian players that are now in the NBA, they came out of that era. So they came out of, some of them, their dads were playing yeah. in the NBL, um, but some of them would have been interested in basketball because of the dream team and because of those personalities that were in that early 90s. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, to think, you know, when, when Luke Longley was in the league in Australia, that was a massive deal, and as it should have been. I mean, he was on the championship yeah. winning team, never a great player, um, but uh, he was on a championship winning team. Uh, he was a role player. He, knew his role. he was a good role he player. Role. Yeah, he was a good role yeah. player. Um, he shot that little 12-foot <laughs> baseline. And a really soft little touch, didn't he? And he was a, a nice passer, and that's what that's that's what they want in the triangle, just a, a, a guy that can pass. <laughs> that's right, triangle. <laughs> and, uh, of course, they used to say, how's Longley going to defend Shaq? And uh, what's Longley going to bring to the table against Shaq? And Phil Jackson used to say, six hard fouls. So that was... <laughs> that's a great answer. That yeah. was about all he could do um, against Shaq. I mean, and even Shaquille, like, you know, when Shaquille came into the league, I've never seen... There's there's very few players in sports that you just go, oh, I've never seen a, a force of nature like that. And I don't know that we'll ever see a guy like that again. I mean, LeBron's probably similar in, in a different sense. No. But when Shaq came into the league, just you look at him and think, how can you ever stop a guy that is just that strong and that dominant? Yeah, I, that's, why, that's why I literally was... You know, he's a nice guy, right? Southern kid, just good dude. But I, that just, I hated that basketball. Like, I remember loving, um, I never again talk about heartbreak. I seem to always pick the team that has the heartbreak. Like, I fell in um, watching college basketball in the 80s, Fly Slam Jamma, which you wouldn't have got this in Australia, would you? With Was Clyde Drexler. That was the Houston team, yeah. The Kim Olajuwon on the same fucking college team, right? Yep. And they were, God, they're just beautiful basketball. And then they lost that, you know, the last second, completely famous Jim Volvano running around the court with the the air ball 36-footer stroke, you know, alley-oop it turned into. And so I was crushed by love to love Hakeem and the way he played, right, and just his amazing footwork and his ability to go inside and out and, you know, all of Hakeem's moves and then, Suddenly, wham, here comes Shaq, right, which is this big, giant, stay-puff marshmallow man. Just just this immovable <laughs> giant. Like, that's you – know, he just he was born into that body. That's not fair. <laughs> you know, at least Hakeem had to work at these skills, you know. as a, you know, decades of effort of playing soccer in Nigeria to get this agility and doom, 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 here comes Shaq. And people are bouncing off him like it was, you know. Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl. It's just, you know, <laughs> you just couldn't stick to him. I'm like, I did, that wasn't basketball to me. So I, th- I think I equate, you know, that that era with that dump it in and uh, stand around sort of stuff. And, oh, God. Oh, well, I think no. it was contrast, though. I mean, there was still that contrast of different styles. Um, in the mid-90s, I think when it got into the sort of that early 2000s, there was some real ugly basketball being played. And really, the, Sacra- sure. the Sacramento Kings stood out to me as the, ter- they as were the shining beautiful. light. Beautiful turn yes. to watch. Um, you know what we probably don't? I probably would have appreciated more if I wasn't such a Suns fan, but the, the fucking Carl Malone, John Stockton, pick and roll happy, right? They, mm. they were, I mean, they were the ultimate pick and roll team, weren't they? 
when Jordan's running triangle and everyone else is running ISO and post stuff, they yeah. were running pick and roll all over the place. So, um, yeah, no, I like that, that Utah team in the, in the late nineties when they really got together as well. Um, yeah. They were they were a good team, but they, I agree. I think that the the dark days of the NBA were the early two thousands. Um, yeah, when Kobe, when Kobe, Shaq, Lakers, and obviously it, even the Spurs. As as much as I hate, hate to admit that they they were not the most attractive team to watch um, during those years uh, yeah. where they're winning titles, and it was it was unfortunate that the the teams that were playing attractive basketball, and even your Bucks, had the one year there where they were jobbed out of the. The finals in 01. Yeah, um, but they still that that era though, right? Was as you were that, that I think the rules played a big part, right? They, the, uh, you couldn't um, the zone defense was still illegal, so you couldn't you couldn't sag, and so you had to stay on your man, and you could hand check the crap out of everyone. Yep. And so it was just a very very physical game, right? So it's it stands the reason the rules are what kind of drives the way the game is played, and you couldn't shoot three pointers, and I go that's what. That's one thing that drives me crazy. I'm like, and I've talked about this, I think, on maybe early, early, early pods, was, you know, that analytics didn't create or, or put forward, you know, three-pointers and, and layups, right? That's been around since the advent of the three-point line. I know that because I was the white kid shooting three-pointers in high school in Wisconsin, and you sort of knew that, if, you know... <laughs> A twenty-one or a twenty-foot shot is worth three, and a nineteen-foot shot is worth two. All I'm going to shoot is twenty-footers, and so everyone's known the three-pointer has been more valuable. But the rules, when you could just stick like glue to people and bust through screens, and you could basically almost grab Jordan or Paxson or anyone, you just grab each other out on the perimeter, and they'd let it all go. You just couldn't get, you couldn't get the volume. You couldn't shoot fifty threes or. 43 pointers in a game you just couldn't get the shots off oh i remember Derek, so, Derek harper in today's game would honestly he would foul out within about two minutes Derek harper <laughs> he he's was... like it's hilarious he's like that era's um fat uh fat lowry wasn't he that <laughs> annoying point guard right <laughs> he was just so handsy and he would just you just couldn't get away from him because he'd be literally just no, grabbing them uh, I mean, Starks, Starks yeah. would as well, but the Harper was always the one I remember. Was just so handsy. Um, yes, I mean, I'm yes. sure Kenny Smith will, 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 would agree with that if he was listening in. Um, yeah. Remembering back to that '94 Knicks Knicks Rocket series, um, but I guess the, where I wanted to take this too, Daz, was to look at the future of the NBA, and I think the NBA is in an interesting position at the moment. Um, and, and you've got much more, obviously, knowledge of the American sporting landscape than I do, even though you haven't lived there for a number of years now. But do you see a scenario where the NBA is the number one sport in America? Because I don't, maybe people in Australia don't fully understand just how entrenched the NFL is, but I'm seeing some cracks in the armour of the NFL, and I think this, this sort of concussion, uh, the CTE stuff that's coming out now is real. Um, and I think it is a, a concern for the NFL and, and something they're going to have to address sooner rather than later. Do you see a scenario where the NBA can sort of poke its nose in front and be the number one sport over there? So putting aside for a second the um, human brains turning to to oatmeal inside of a football helmet, right, um, for a second, uh, I think there's, well, there's, there's factors in favor for it. 
and there's probably one or two against it. Um, the factors in favor are, uh, right, it's a star-driven league, um, far more so than the NFL, right? Far more. Yeah. Only five players. Uh, your player plays 80% of the game, and he plays offense and defense, right? As much as I love Aaron Rodgers, he's got a helmet on, and he throws the ball maybe 30 times a game and runs another five or six times, right? Sometimes he'll throw it 40. So at best, Aaron Rodgers is affecting 40% of the plays in the game, right? So there's that factor, and he's one of 22 on the field. So there's that factor where the star star nature makes it very perfect for the Twitter world, right? For the social media world, for the casual fan. So from a casual fan perspective, that's where I think the big, the tailwinds are with the NBA. Because think about, think about what just happened since, think about June and July. Think about lead up to the draft and everything DX, and then the draft, and then the free agency process, and now all the things. The last, what, six, seven weeks, however long it's been since the NBA Finals, has been newsy almost every single day. Right? Yeah, and and that's been. I mean, to interrupt you there though, Daz, that's yeah. been no, with go, yeah. that's been with casual fans. To your point, because and that was the thing about the finals I found this year. Even though I wasn't overly excited about the Warriors Cavs finals, because I had a fairly good feel of where it was going to go, and and watching them two teams play is just not the sort of basketball I want to see because I think they're both playing the same style, but. From a casual fan's point of view, I was shocked at how many people were really engaged, and albeit probably only for the first three games until the Warriors put it away, but no, were really the engaged. Were, the, the ratings, ratings went through the roof. And even further on, the NBA draft. I had people that nor, that I know are not rusted on NBA fans um, like you and I are that were making comments about the draft. Um, you know, talking about things like Jonah Bolden and, you know, with what what the Celtics did and all this sort of stuff. So I think it has. And I think the, 20, the, the fact that it is now really a 12-month league and they've got news stories going all the time within the league, um, I think is a, is a real point of difference for them and some of the other sports. Because, you know, the NFL finished when Tom Brady beat the... The, the Falcons and Patriots came back. I haven't really, did, you know, okay, there was a little bit of news around the draft, but there hasn't felt to me the same level of news from the NFL and even other sports in the off-season. It, it's a huge one. You're exactly right. And it's it's fun. Like, I'm a serious fan, right? And I find, I find it infinitely fascinating, right? Like you and I go into salary cap and you know designated player and and the motivations and the chess games of why did chris paul do this and did he start it was it there like it's really interesting right it's fun to analyze the mechanics of player movements and the motives and things so it's, it's really it's really interesting and um this is one of the big the big the one big downside right is for and we've, we've talked about it, and we'll, probably, we'll continue to talk about it more and more, is if you love the Clippers, and you love the Utah Jazz, you love the Bulls, and you love the Pacers, you have had your superstar say goodbye. And so that's the thing where, um, you know, it's easier for for fans like me, right, who followed the Bucks for so long, and 
I have had no choice but to find joy in the game by either the drama, or I, that's why I love the drama of the 2016 finals, the coming back from 3-1, the nut punch, the Kyrie bomb, right? The, the drama of that series from a 73-win team, I don't know how you'll ever top it. That's why I was so hoping for more drama this year. So I, I have to find the joy in the drama or the style of player, the contrast, because I'm resigning myself, right? It's been, what, 1974 or 70, whenever the Bucks won the title. It's, it's, incre- it's increasingly unlikely my team will ever win a championship. This era is getting like a smaller market teams. It's getting harder and harder and harder now with the, you know, with the way the banana boat's working and the boys are going to play where they want to play. And no matter how hard, um, how great young becomes or how stable the Bucks ownership, you know, gets and how good their drafts are, uh, Milwaukee will never be Miami, Los Angeles, or New York or San Francisco, right? It will literally never be that. It'll be as, as attractive as it'll only be to the you know, players who are drafted there. So this is, for me, the thing that will, will start to hold – the casual fans will love it, but then, you know, the fans of the, let's say, whatever, the 10 or dozen teams who are smaller market and will continue to, you know, live on uh, pins and needles and praying that their star doesn't leave them, it's going to change the way it's going to. It's going to change the way hardcore fans, uh, I think, see the game. Now they're not. The, I don't know. I don't know the numbers, but I imagine the casual fans, right, outnumber these hardcore fans. I don't know, two to one, four to one, five to one. So that for me is going to be the hard thing. Is that think about your think you're a Pacers fan now. So how do you find joy in the NBA season if you're a hardcore Indiana Pacers fan? What's that joy? Watching Vic Oladipo miss 21 footers, or is it the you know the development of your young players? Or so again, I've had the. I've been used to that because my team is ever since we um, had the fucking psychopaths give away Ray Allen for nothing. I've pretty much had to resign myself to try and find joy in, hey, did our draft pick play this year? You know, you have to find joy in something else other than your team being contender, which I imagine is very different for a, a guy like who's, you know, followed the Spurs religiously for the team. <laughs> yeah, I've been so lucky as a Spurs fan. I mean, what a. What a what a team to luck into. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, sorry, I just dropped my headphones. Oh, that's right. I think something happened. Um, you know, I've I've followed them since I would probably would have been eighty eight. I'd say when eighty eight, eighty nine, when I when I got on the bandwagon. Um, so what's yeah. that now? Thirty years, uh, the best part of thirty years, and they've missed the playoffs once in all that time. Fear, fear fucker. And I think they've lost... <laughs> they've they've only... They've won under 50 games, I think, three times. Um, and one time, we, we had a shocking season with actually a really fun team. They just couldn't finish games off, and then we got Tim Duncan after that season. Uh, and, yeah, every other year, it's just been in the playoffs. And, yeah, it's been tough. I, I can't lie to you, Des. It's been tough. No, I, I do say there is actually a lot of parallels between being a Spurs fan and being a Packers fan, right? Which is that it's different joy, right? To I expect from going from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, right? Yeah. I expect the team to be in the playoffs literally every year, and so it is harder and harder to enjoy a game in November 
right? It's just, it's literally not as enjoyable as if I thought my Packers were going to be, you know, six and 10 and you play some great game in November. So I, that for me is, I don't know if it feels like that for you. Oh, the difference for me is, I mean, the great thing about the Spurs in recent years is you know they're going to play 12 players across the season. So you can really look forward and say, I want to see how DeJounte Murray's going to develop next year. And I know I'm going to see him play plenty of, plenty of games. Um, you know, so the random games where Pop sits guys, they're the ones I get most excited about, even though we've got less of a chance of winning because I want to see how these guys coming along um, and how's the team building going. So I think that's where I get some enjoyment out of the regular yeah, sure. season games. Um, you know, a lot of the other games, you just like they're going through the motions and, you, you know, it, it's... it's I understand where you're coming from because I mean I go into the season thinking they're going to win between 50 and 60 what, games. Imagine, Guys are taking shorter deals and 
they're just probably going to leave more frequently. But so that's well, I, I don't have a. I think yeah. there's an interesting you... parallel to wrestling. Does it become a factor? <laughs> and I, I say it from this point of view: Does it become a factor where you where you're now going to be supporting players? rather than and be like a Brian Windhorse and just wherever LeBron goes, I'll go, right? And you might say, that's my favourite player and, yeah, I love him when he's on the Cavs. He, oh, he went to the Lakers. I'm a Lakers fan now, you know? this That could be where some of the fan well, base goes because a, is it is it really as rusted on location-wise because, you know, it's a very different, uh, particularly with, with the younger generation now, and this is what I find Australia. I'm not sure if it's the same in in um, in the states, but people aren't as worried about their local area, I guess, and, and saying, "Oh, you know," identifying themselves as, "Oh, I'm from Milwaukee. Oh, I have to go to the Bucks because that's where I grew up." Um, they might just latch onto a player more um, and, and follow him more and say, "Well, I'm a Giannis fan first, Bucks fan second. If Giannis goes to the Spurs, which you know is, is very likely to happen, as you know, Daz, they might go for San Antonio. Well, well, we'll come back to that point. Actually, I want to talk about that, but this is a very, very new phenomenon. You know why? It's because of League Pass. League Pass, and it's right. This is only a few years old. Yeah. People are League Pass taking off, and I can literally now, you know, not just have the internet to watch, you know, watch highlights and, and things, but now I can you know, for a pretty affordable price, watch any team I want. And so you're right. I go thinking about boundarylessness is that if, you know, if Carmelo left, Carmelo was my guy or whatever, he left and I loved him. Well, just, just as easy for me. So back in the eighties and nineties, right. All I could watch was my, my local bucks team. That's all it was on. Cause it was a Milwaukee station, a Milwaukee broadcast, local broadcast rights broadcast across Wisconsin. That's who I watched because that's who was on TV, right? And so I don't have to do that anymore. You're right. I can leak past and watch whoever hmm. I want 60, 70, 80 times a year. So if Giannis left, that's an interesting question. He's He will be the unique for, for our fan base, right? I don't think that's going to happen in Indiana. Is Paul George that beloved? Beloved? My name, Beloved. Like, I don't know. Like, do you have a, <laughs> yeah. do you have a pulse of the... I actually don't know. Jimmy Butler definitely not. Beloved. Well, I look at Westbrook. I mean, I think if Westbrook left OKC, depending on the circumstances, I think a lot of fans would follow that guy, no matter where he went. So if he went to the Lakers, I think you'd find a number of fan baits. Now, again, I'm looking at it from a strange perspective. I'm not. I'm not in OKC where well, people are saying, "Well, I'm I'm rusted on Oklahoma City, and that's all I want to go to go for." I think you'd find there'd be a lot of fans that would follow Westbrook wherever he goes. Well, look, I think there's – I wonder if it depends on the player. Because I can, I can guarantee you there were Philadelphia 76ers fans who followed and cheered for the Suns hard when Barkley went there, for sure. Mm. Um, did Orlando Magic fans become Lakers fans from Shaq? No fucking well, way. Well, exactly. it depends on the way they leave. I mean, it's like well, OKC right, fans wouldn't right? have followed KD to the Warriors. I, I wanted Brett Favre to die in a car fire with – you know, AIDS a penis, you know, when he fucking <laughs> left and did what he did, right? We wanted, you wanted him to go just, right? So it depends on how you leave. It probably also depends on the character, I suppose, and the personality style and I guess the relationship they had with the fans. But uh, 
Yeah, look, that, that could happen. I... Well, also the way the league's promoting itself. I mean, and where League Pass is going to go is, it's not that far down the future, you'll be logging on the League Pass and they'll have a, you know, a, a Kawhi Leonard option. And you can just watch Kawhi play when he's on the court. You can even see the game from Kawhi's perspective. This is the sort of technology they're now working with. Oh, you're um, right. I've heard this. You're that's right. right. So now it's it is it's going. It's a star-driven league. It's only going to continue the go in that direction. Um, and to the wrestling point, instead of saying, "Well, I go for good guys or bad guys or whatever," you might say, "Well, this is the wrestler well, I'm going to follow. This is the basketball player I'm going to follow." It's not wrestling. It's Hollywood. Yeah. It's Hollywood. Like you either like you like Brad Pitt or you like Quentin Tarantino or you like remember like I'll go see a Brad Pitt movie because I liked it in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. That's maybe that's a really good question actually. Will it become more Hollywood like? Well, the guys are more. That's what this is about. They're about building their brand, building their own business, having literally having revenue streams and media companies and the business model. So that's a they're finding themselves. They're truly little enterprises. Um, have been production companies, the rest of it. And LeBron has been, and he's thrust that into a whole different level, hasn't he? He's never saying, hey, come on, fuckers. Don't just, you know, let's treat, let's let's take power back. Let's let's take the power back from these owners. Take as much power as we can. That's why I have to respect LeBron. And I wonder if he'll get there one day as well, but I really, really respect for how he has led this you know, the billionaire white guy motherfuckers have been fucking us and winning every collective bargaining agreement negotiating uh, negotiation since the beginning of time. You know what? We're going to do our, you know, we're going to do our best, obviously, at the negotiating table. When it comes time to, you know what, guys? Let's sign one and two-year deals. Fuck it. Yeah. I'll take, I'll, make, I'll take my $35 million. You got me for two years. Fucking manage this place properly. So it's hard not to respect the attitude and the taking ownership and taking control that has happened in the is especially as a business person, I almost have to admire it. And you've probably heard me say it 10 times. Like I was a, one of the biggest LeBron haters. And now I'm quickly, I'm over on the other side. I'm a LeBron admirer in about the last 24 months. Um, so but here's the thing. Me. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing when Miami were in the finals, you know where one of the the biggest highest ratings was during those finals? Chicago or Cleveland? Cleveland, Ohio. Why? Because people were going for the opposite team. So, oh, because he was the villain. He's the villain. So again, it's the wrestling. It's the wrestling thing. Oh, he turns heel. He right. turns heel, but it's still fascinating. So you know, outside of Miami and San Antonio, the third biggest market oh, watching the yeah. finals was Cleveland, Ohio. So the NBA look at, might look at that and say, you know what, it's not, it's not as bad a thing as what you might think um, to, for these, these sort of things to happen. Um, I guess the, what you've got to well, still have is hope for a franchise. Um, that's what I mean. Because Adam Silver, you're, you're right in the aggregate, and in in probably in the aggregate it's not the worst thing to have because it'll hit the ratings and you'll hit numbers, but it is a big deal for David Silver. Right, you cannot have teams who are either going to race to the salary floor or do a Donald Sterling, or you know the fan bases that have no hope. That's because that makes decaying you know ownership in front offices, and that makes a decaying product, and that makes a decaying you know place where players don't want to play. So you can't have 
he's got 30 franchises. He needs 30 franchises to think they can win or you know, be competent. So it's a big deal for, for Silver. Um, maybe not for the bottom line, but I think it's a big deal if you start to see, you know, if you go, again, if you start to see uh, Anthony Davis or Giannis or the next wave of stars now leaving the smaller market teams, it's going to be an interesting conversation. Well, maybe they need to do what they did with the Cavs and use that as a precedent and say, we're just going to rig the lottery if you lose a, a big enough star. <laughs> We'll rig the lottery a couple of times. But how many times do you have to rig that fight? <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, well, when you select Anthony Bennett with the first pick, it, it becomes a bit null and void. Um, select Anthony Bennett and you still, you know, <laughs> so, honestly. Anyway, so, yeah, look, I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see where, where the NBA is in 10 years, where the NFL is in 10 years. Um, I think there's, and, and I mean, even the NBA on a global scale, where it will be in 10 years. Because I think football's obviously the, the number one global sport, but I think there's some problems there, and there's some cracks appearing even in that facade um, in the way that football's being run. Well, football's a little bit like the Catholic Church, isn't it? It's just so powerful and so big and so money. I see you mean soccer, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so FIBA, etc., um, and UEFA, and the, the governing bodies are so corrupt that you're right, there could be some problem there, but it's not like the numbers are going to... Basketball never compete with... No, I don't but, think so, but I think they can continue the encroach um, upon those areas. It's obviously, if it's ever going to take over football, we a long, long way down the track. But American football, maybe not so much. I mean, I, I think there's some big problems there in the NFL... Um, Big time that they need to address, and not just not even just with the CT and the concussions. There are major, major issues that I have. I love American football, but I hate the NFL. If that makes sense. And what do you hate about it? I hate the NFL as an as an organisation. So Roger Goodell and the owners, um, yeah. and sort of the way, and it, and it's got this sort of. Someone made the point to me the other day. It's got this sort of. When, when people look back on it in 100 years, they might look at it like the gladiator games where they say they know these guys are, are being really badly hurt and injured on the field, but it's just these rich white guys are buy, buying these teams, putting them together and, and making money off them. Um, you know, go out there and belt each other in front of everyone and, and we, we may very well wonder why we did it. Uh, it for is as long incomprehensible as and unconscionable why... The players haven't gone on a prolonged, prolonged strike to get guaranteed contracts. In a sport where the players get injured more than any other sport combined, like a total of all the NBA injuries and all the baseball injuries together, and they're not going to total what the injuries are in the NFL. The careers are the shortest, the game is the most violent, and they don't have guaranteed contracts. I go, can just that alone, like that compared with what LeBron and the NBA have done with the strong cap and all the revenue sharing and and the, the you know the movements they've made with uh, with free agency and the rest of it, it just kind of go. It is a it is a horrific injustice. So that's a really good point. You're right. I, I, from what I think about it, it is a it's a disgrace. Not to mention all the college football and the billions of dollars made for more white men, so that you know kids can make can make nothing, and you know get uh, become blacklisted and get kicked off their programs because someone bought them a plane ticket home to go to a funeral. Yeah. That stuff happens, right? You're in yeah. college and you have a $200 plane ticket and you've broken all kinds of rules whilst the, co- whilst the college makes millions and millions and millions off of you. So it is a uh, football does have some, 
some systemic problems. Um, but, but what's your point? I want, I'm interested more to have, I guess, the other side of this from your view is the, you don't like the quality, you don't like the product. I heard you saying you don't like the way games played. So the on-court product. But tell me, talk to me more about that. What's no, the, I think I know. I've heard you, I know you, you call it the horse game, and we kind of joked about that before. But what's your? I guess I'll worry that all teams are going to go the same route, and we're going to end up with two teams playing exactly the same style of basketball, and one team just does it better. And and I think you've touched on it as well. I want to see more contrast. And so many games in today's NBA, I just don't see any contrast between the way two teams are trying to play. Um, this pace, and they're all just doing pace and space, pace. And, and, you know, not every team can do pace and space. They're trying to do it without the players to do it. Hence why you get, um, you know, is it a good thing that Brook Lopez is shooting 300 threes in the season? I'm not, I'm not convinced that it is. Um, so that, and, and that's what worries me, I guess, about where the game's going. Are we going to lose the big man or is it going to morph into we get a, a different skilled type of big man and it becomes even better because of that I'm not sure but um, I'm not convinced about the, the way the game you know I see a lot of games where it's just two teams that could give a rat's ass about playing defence and they're just trying to outscore each other well I guess there are probably a lot of us I'm, I include myself who'd rather see you know the, the, the game end 121 to 116 and lamenting the fact that James Harden, you know, let a few guys go past him and Andrew Wiggins was totally disinterested then to watch the 82 to 77 slugfest, right, in the NBA Finals that was not that long ago. So I, if I have to give the choice between the hand check, handball, hand grab, you know, physical brute, brute style that was played not even 15 years ago, I'll take this one, the free-flowing open form. And I can see, I'm sort of, I understand, I'm kind of with you as well, where it is, there are, like, there are really ugly stretches of the, you know, shoot the, the pull-up 23-footer with 19 seconds left on the shot clock. You know, guess what? At least that agony is over in four seconds. <laughs> Just stand there and watch fucking Kevin McHale hold that fucking ball and dance it back and forth and watch Shaq just smash someone over or watch Patrick Ewing back it in, back it out, pass it back out to John Starks, just to pass it right back into the Ewing. And you just shoot a fadeaway, just that, oh. Oh, I love the repost. You You don't love the repost. The repost. Oh, beautiful. You just murder 20 seconds of every possession. It just. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge is the king of the the repost in the NBA. I love it. Passes the ball and starts clapping his hands to get it back. (laughs) Exactly. I know. So, look, I'm kind of I, I get there. There's ugly. There's definitely ugliness to it. But I go. It's also, I mean, there's ugly. It's a game, right? What's with the best players shoot miss half the time? So you go. It's going to be ugly. It's you know, it's a hard game. So I don't oh, know. Oh, look, certainly, more, I, I acknowledge yeah. I'm in the minority. There's no question yeah. about that. I mean, yeah, okay. and, um, I don't think anyone. I, 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 as much as I wouldn't mind going back to that, not even so much those days, just I go back and look at the those games in the early to mid-90s and they weren't all slugfests. I mean, you, you're talking about games, I mean, even looking at that 92-93 finals, you know, some of the scores that you see, sort of 108-98, 99-98, 
um, those sort of score lines, I'd rather see those than the sort of the 130, 126. That, you know, regular time, that just doesn't doesn't feel like the way basketball should be played. But um, that, that's probably just something that we're going to have to either get over or maybe there'll be another change to the game well, as the time goes I, on. There'll be, I think it is changing, right? Like you pointed out though, with the, the centre position. And we talk about, right, I mean, are there any more... Uh, more insulting words to be uttered than Omer Ashik's contract or, <laughs> right, Timothy Mozgov's contract or Jan Mahimi's or Bismack Biyombo's or, right, Roy Hibbert's basically out of the league. Yeah. All defensive team three years ago, he's basically going to be out of the league. Greg Monroe was the, one of the signature free agents, right, three summers ago, right? Sought after the you, you know, the bucks usurped the process, and oh my God, that was just three years ago, right? And I go, and he's already been, the, he's been, he's been on the trading block for two and a half of those three years. <clears throat> so the league is dramatically changing, right? To have these, the unicorns, they call it, right? The stretchy fives. So I think that's fascinating. But I think where they, with analytics and these really, really smart GMs, they're just going to find skills that are, undervalued and that's where i think that how do you find a skill that's undervalued and that might be delhi setting screens or you know dare i say on ball defense or the ability to close out or again this probably the hottest skill right switchability six foot seven six foot eight dudes who can guard twos threes fours or even fives if you had to if you're six seven six eight you can you can battle with most you know six foot eleven guys if you had to switch off. So that's that for me is the kind of the, the game within the game as to how you watch the development of, the, I guess, the younger players and then the the building of rosters to find skills to combat the, the Clay Thompson and, and Kevin Durant and, and Curry. Well, that's where and, I think... I think Draymond yeah. Green's the guy that's opened the door to that because... He has. Yeah. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, what, what would Draymond Green have been in the league? Uh, you know, he would have just been a, maybe a bit of a back, or probably go back further than that. Um, and you wonder what his role would have been. Oh, you, you don't you don't have to go that. But every generation's had that version, right? You're called a tweener, which means you didn't have a position. Yeah. And now that now that's a that was the greatest insult. Marcus Pfizer, I remember, right? The guy from Iowa State. You know, just six foot seven, built like a rock, and you know what is he? You know, I don't know what he is. So he doesn't have a position. Oh, he must not be any good. He doesn't fit a three or a four. Now that's the ultimate compliment. Well, so they were even the, saying yeah. about the in Green when when they played the Spurs uh, in two thousand and thirteen, when when the Warriors really arrived and the Mark Jackson was coaching him, and they sort of pushed the Spurs to six games. But the question coming out then, well, what is Draymond Green? He's not really a great three point shooter. That's okay, right. he's a good defense. What's his position? You know, three a couple of years later, he's all been all NBA first team player, and they're all, all um, the defensive player of the year. So that's that's sort of where the game's going. And I suppose you know, if you can now now sort of you see that's the comp that the people are looking for within the draft is saying, well, where can we find the next um, Draymond Green, uh, a guy that can, to your point, switch ability and switch around and, and essentially guard one through five if he needs to. Uh, on yeah. the basketball court. Well, that's and then the next layer, which we hinted at last time, the next layer beneath that, then, is that you've got that is 
that plus this dynamic of, let's say, players are going to move teams more than ever, especially their stars. And so therefore, the style of play of your team might, is, is going to vary more from year to year. So the Bulls are going to play radically different than they were just literally a few months ago. Same thing with Indiana. They're going to play radically different without a Paul George. Well, Houston's the best, best uh, Houston's example a great example. That. The Clippers without Chris Paul are going to have to completely change things with the same coaching staff. Right? So I kind of go, that's where I go, that's now going to be the more interesting where the teams go is what sort of, I'm thinking organization, developmental league with the G League, with the roster construction, with whom they draft, with how they coach, with how they develop. The question is, how will that alter to know that from, you know, very short-term horizons, the the composition of your team and the way, you know, especially if your stars are started are changing more often, are you going to have to think differently about how you, in your philosophy of basketball and structure of basketball? So question, will you become... Do you need to find players who are more malleable or do you need coaching staffs who are better at completely changing or, or making significant changes to their systems to make best use of the talent they do have from a year to year basis, the way college coaches do, right? So mm-hmm. college coaches tend to can have a system and they, they recruit players into the system, right? So that's the, the argument for system basketball. And then the, it's an outlier because they get all the top recruits, but then Kentucky is the, well, yeah, they have the, the most idiot coach and they just get superstars. There's no system there other than give the superstars the ball and stand there on a clap. But uh, do you see what I'm saying? That's why I think for yeah. NBA teams, it's going to be really interesting is now imagine Jason Kidd gets rid of his super aggressive trappy defense because he goes, maybe I don't have the personnel to do it. Is he going to change the whole philosophy where they play around their roster or, are you going to have to just constantly be better at recruiting players in your own system? That, for me, is going to be the interesting kind of subplot of how teams try to compete, try to create, try to be relevant. Yeah. Do you have a view, do you have a view on that? I mean, well, it goes back to the team building. I, I think contracts is becomes a very interesting part of that as well. So how, how, not only how do you build your team from a skill set point of view, how do you build your team from a contract construction yes. point of view? And that's where I went back to last week to say, well... Okay, if you get guys on ten mil, but if you if you got a guy on fifteen mil, well, you're locked into that. That's going to be very difficult to move that guy. Um, so in today's NBA, it's important to try and have a team around, hopefully a superstar, hopefully two superstars, but then have either movable contracts or short term contracts, so you're able to move. So the flexibility works both ways. Um, so if you need to say to Houston, okay, we tried this system. We got to the end of the season. We're we're three seed. We think that's probably our ceiling. That went as well as it was going to go. Now we're going to reset and we're going to try and do it this way. Um, and the mistake they made was you sign Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon to contracts that really can't well, be moved now, or it doesn't seem like they'll be able to be able to move. Let's wait and see. I guess whether that's going to be able to happen or not. And I think the the, the chess match will be that the teams like the Wizards or like the Heat or dare I say even to an extent like Portland where they're just saying we're going to take our guys and we're going to lock them in, right? They're taking the counter approach, less flexible approach. Now again, it's hard to, because basically one one team's going to win the, the championship. It's been no surprise to Graham. Like if, this, 
if the if the Warriors don't win, what at least two more? What do you think? At least two more? They'll probably win three. Yeah? I don't think they'll win any more. You don't think the Warriors will win any more championships? No, I think the Spurs are going. <laughs> You're such a yeah, Rudy Gay, ninety-one-year-old Paul, ninety-one-year-old Manu. No, I think in all seriousness, I think the the Warriors, they're certainly set up to win, but they've got some contract questions they're going to have to ask. I mean, are they really willing to pony up for $400 million tax bill? Well, don't underestimate the greed of some of these owners to cut bait and say, we've won two titles, you know what? Anyway, there's revenue flows in. Yeah. But, uh, I guess for me that was like part of my point. Though, that yeah. Outside of the second, the ability to win the title, because uh, aside from Houston, which you just have to applaud their balls, you know, most most teams, 25 teams, probably have no shot this year. 24 teams, right? Let's be honest. You'd maybe give Houston, you'd maybe give, if everything goes perfectly in Oklahoma State, in to be fair, I mean, I think you need. Five teams, right? Yeah, you you need the Warriors to get in, to have some injuries to to say sure. any team's got a shot, really. But um, you know, then you sort of you. I guess most teams you'd be saying, look, we're aiming to be the number two team in the league, and then hope we get lucky when we inevitably meet the Warriors. Yeah. That's sort of the way you're looking at it. So that's that's goes back to what I was sort of saying about being. Uh, <laughs> You know, what's it mean to be a fan? And and that is the, like in Toronto, or I, I said a couple when we were doing our um, our year in review, or off-season in review, which is, you know, they just resigned themselves to saying, you know what, we can only make so many choices. We only have, we have so many constraints with the salary cap and the rest of it, and this unique situation with, you know, Lowry's contract, and so given our choices, right, our choices are going to be to bring back most of the band with Serge and, and, and Lowry, and we're probably going to win 50 games again, and we're almost certainly not going to the finals. And that that is as best as they can do, and so the fan bases are going to have to be okay with that. And so that's the, that's the nature, I think, of the sport at the moment, is the 25 fan bases are going to have to, one, enjoy enough of the superstars to enjoy enough of uh, rooting against fucking Kevin Durant and or, or LeBron as it were rooting against their villain or rooting against the te- you know the guys that left them and then watching the developer team so um, you just don't have the what we had right back in the 80s where you know the same Bucks team was trotted out for a decade and the same Spurs team was trotted out for a decade and the same yeah, but even though the same team, I mean, that Spurs team right through the 90s, they ended up winning in 99. But every year I felt like they were a chance. Um, there was that hope was there you could that you could get over the hump. Whereas I think the Golden State, it, is, it, it looks so insurmountable at the moment. It is going to be interesting um, to see whether, that, whether, whether there is a knock-on effect of that. Um, whether fans just go, look, we'll give it a miss for a couple of years until it's a bit more competitive um, at the top end. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, and then there's the fans in Orlando, and just you just hope they pick a new team to be fans <laughs> for. <laughs> yeah, uh, honestly. Yeah, that's terrible. 
All right. Well, look, Dave. Anyway, we've, we've, been, we've been around the world and back again. So that's good, mate. It's been a good, yeah, a good uh, back and fun. forth. Uh, yeah. Your microphone ended up coming in okay in the end, so I think we've, we'll go most of that. We'll, um, there'll be a little bit of editing back and forth, but uh, we'll put most of that together. Um, yeah, and we'll fun. see sort of where we're going to put out there to people um, to send us some... Uh, we're going to set up a Facebook page and a couple of other social media things to try and get out some uh, some requests there. If you've got any questions for us, our next uh, pod is going to be a bit of a question and answer section. Our first mailbag. Our yes. first mailbag section, that's right. So uh, we're going to put that out to people. So if you are listening to this and you want to make a comment in the comment section of wherever you're, you're listening to it from, feel free to do that. Uh, and then we'll, we'll go through those in the next in the next pod episode, Daz, and, and see what sort of questions we're going to get from our very very large and loyal fan base. That's right. <laughs> if by large you mean small and loyal you mean loyal, then I think uh, that'll be good. Yes. I, I have a feeling there'll be a question about T.Beard. <laughs> That's the only... <laughs> that is quite possible. Could be on the agenda. All right, Daz. All right, Daz. Good to talk to you again tonight, mate. We'll talk again in a week or so. See you, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye.